Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. On today's program, I interview the CEO of Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, Marnie Baker. And I see why this bank has been on a nice roll stock price-wise. And we try to work out if there is more upside left for the bank. And we have Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial, who will share with us the latest stocks he thinks have real potential. In the past, he has pinpointed some very interesting companies, and I expect he will deliver some again today. And then US-based Vivek Bommi, the MD of Newburger Berman, which has a listed bond fund here on our stock market and is under the ticker code of NBI. Now, this has been a consistent 5% plus income payer, and many are surprised why the price of this listed product has not returned to its pre-COVID high. Let's see if there is potential capital gain out there waiting to happen. That's the show, so let's just kick off with Michael Wayne and his latest hot stocks to watch. Well, I'm catching up with Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial to see what stocks has come onto his radar screen in um, uh, recent times. I also want to talk to him about a few stocks that we've shared an interest in over time. Hey, Mike. How are you going, Peter? Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Let's talk about the new ones first before we re recap on some of the our old friends. <laughs> uh, what are some of the new ones you, you've been considering? You've either been recommended to your clients yeah. or you're thinking about recommending? Well, one that we've included in our monthly report and had clients invest in in the last sort of two, probably three months now is a company called Alcidian. Mm -hmm. uh, so this one sits outside the ASX 300, so it won't be for everyone, but yeah. it's definitely, in our view, an emerging business, mm -hmm. a bit of a hybrid sort of tech healthcare company, uh, whereby they provide a platform which is used by different hospitals and, and different uh, clinics, etc., to manage their patients, whether that be from bed rotation to, to meals, um, to a whole range of other things mm -hmm. as well. And essentially many of these hospitals and many of these different clinics tend to be quite archaic. If you think about the old clipboard at the end of the bed, yeah. um, updating once a patient's had a meal or once a patient's had some certain medication. So it sounds like a, a risk management tool of a hospital. It's a risk management tool and its applications goes from not only managing patients really, but to managing staff, um, managing the workload, just mm. the rotation and optimization of the beds, mm. etc. So. It's a business that's been growing very, very quickly. They've conducted a number of acquisitions, but also growing organically. Um, and this is a company which we think has the potential to really emerge in the years to come. So still is early days. They recently completed a, an acquisition and rose ca raised capital. They ended up raising, I think, three mil from retail investors, but had applications for 30 mil. Mm. So there's a fair bit of pent up demand there, we think, which can help support the price at these levels and push it on to bigger and better things. Mm, okay. In a sense, it sounds like they're trying to take the human factor out and make it more automated and taking into, into effect a lot of um, um, decision-making that an individual could actually muck up. Well, that's right. And that's what we find often does happen. Yeah. Um, but it's a matter of the company really getting out there selling the story and having these different hospitals integrate their platform mm. uh, once it becomes embedded in their systems then it's very very difficult to get rid of once people become reliant on it so mm. that's a company that we think is worth keeping an eye on but it is obviously earlier stage yep. so a bit more risky and a bit so more volatile. So it's a speculative company but the, the business model seems pretty that's good. That's right. What's the ticket code for that? ALC. ALC. What else you got there? 
Uh, looking at some new ones, we've sort of been looking um, again at some of these airports, Auckland International Airport, Sydney Airport, which yeah. have been under a bit of pressure, but we still think that long term the story can still play out. So um, when we start flying again, you think these businesses around that will do better? That's right. Like they're very high quality, monopoly type assets, um, large scale infrastructure assets that aren't going anywhere. Everyone knows that they're being beaten up at the moment, but mm. we do think that in time, we'll look back at this being an opportunity to buy a very high quality business at 30, 40, maybe even 50% below their pre-COVID highs. Mm. Um, there's been some in the, the, the sort of the copper space as well. We're um, yeah. flying away from the, the airports. <laughs> Let's just, now Paul Rickard always says, oh, Sydney Airport is going to have the threat from the airport at Eastern Creek. Yes. Now, you would have thought about that. Do you, do you think it's going to be a threat Yeah, or Sydney not? airports probably are less preferred over Auckland International Airports. Yeah. Auckland no Central, rivals there. No rivals, and not as many rivals. They also own the Queenstown Airport. Yeah. Uh, they also own Have a lot you of ever the flown land. Scariest fly in there. I thought it was beautiful flying in oh. there. It is scary though. You're coming in between the mountains. Exactly. Um, but they actually own the land, whereas mm. Sydney airports don't. So that's why our preference is for Auckland. But we mm. think on a sort of medium term view, Sydney should get a bit of a, a recovery. On a longer term view, we are probably a bit more concerned about the second yeah. airport coming in. Okay. Flying to copper now. Yes. So what do you got there? So typically we don't really look at copper. Um, it tends to be very cyclical. Mm. But copper is a huge input into these battery technologies, and we could well be seeing a shift in aggregate demand for copper going a structural forward. A structural increase, increase mm. where it's now going to be embedded in a lot more of the technologies that we use. Mm. Um, so we think that copper has some legs. Um, also, the supply response to the increased demand is still some years away, we think. That's yeah. why the market is so tight. I guess so it has the coronavirus slowed slow down the supply, like it slowed down microchips, it slowed down the tablet that we use here for our, <laughs> our auto cue. Yeah, I, look, I suppose it, it has, but I think just for so long, copper's been in the doldrums that there's not much actually out there. Um, there's, there's a lot in the ground, yeah. but ready for market, not the so much. The price didn't make it attractive to dig up. So that, that's right, but it's all of a sudden become attractive, and it's I think potentially a bit more sustainable. I mean, Oz Minerals is one that we've done well off, but that's probably run extremely hard. Um, Sandfire Resources is a, a good quality resource. Um, its mine life's a little bit short, but they are doing things around that to expand their exploration and to expand their production. So we think that Sandfire is not a, a bad alternative, and there's a very small one which is a producer. There's not many copper pure producers on the ASX. Uh, AIS is the code on that small specy for those that are What's looking. What's the name of it? Um, Can't remember. Can you, that's why I gave you a ticket code. Okay, ticket code is most important. AIS. Okay. We'll get before you go. Now let's go to um, stuff we've talked about in the past. You're the person who put me on the Megaport. Mm-hmm. Um, went went down not long after you yeah. tipped it. But I like. I still like the model. And it's coming back at the moment. Since we yeah, back. I mean Megaport is one one of our better performing positions over four well, years. You got in, you got in cheap. But um, we still sort of reiterated it as a buy, um, maybe probably a couple of months ago now, yeah. and it initially sold off with that broader sort of tech high PE sell off that we saw. Yeah. But we do think that through the cycle, this is a company that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm. Um, effectively allows data um, to be stored at different times on different networks depending on demand. Mm. So I think you probably gave me the best example of, of how to look at it. If the, the TAB know that Melbourne Cup's coming up and they need 
extra data support during that period, mm. they can easily tap into Megaport systems yeah. and basically lease that extra data capacity for that period yeah, of time. The VRC was another That's example. That's right. Yeah. But I actually got that from the founder. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, Slattery, what's his first Bevan name? Slattery. Bevan Slattery. Bevan Slattery, yeah. So, I think it's a company of the future, and I always figure, well, it, I think it was off a peak when I recommended it, but it's starting to come, come close to that peak again. So I, I think That's the future right. is with a company like that. Another way you threw it as we come on the program was ordinate, which kind of has that sort of feel that, I think you made the point, this could be a bit of a monopoly. You mm -hmm. still have that strong feeling about ordinate? Yeah, we've got a strong view on ordinate. It's been a decent performer, but not so much in recent times. Over a sort of two, three year period, it's actually been quite good. Mm -hmm. It's been one of these COVID losers. Um, essentially, it provides a, a, what do they call it? It's like a sort of a, a chip that's embedded in technology or a protocol, I think is the technical term, well which, done, which is in, embedded into different electronic equipment, yeah. uh, mainly in the audio equipment space. So yeah. it allows different pieces of equipment to communicate without the, the long cords and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it reminds me of Sonos, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. but it's a, probably a better quality. Um, the technology is superior. And essentially, out of all new electronics that are coming to market, this Ordinate protocol is embedded in about 80% or even more now GSP. of new stuff coming to market. And it's growing and its adoption rate's about 17 times the nearest competitor. Yeah. Um, it did suffer, obviously, because of COVID, the less outdoor events and outdoor yeah. concerts, but they're starting to get some traction again, and the recent updates have been very good. It seems to me that there's a lot of normal things that aren't going on, like massive rock concerts, yeah. and, you know, idiots jumping on top of each other and dancing and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. All that idiocy which goes with rock concerts and football, yeah. grand finals and stuff, that's going to come back to normal, and a company like that seems to be a beneficiary that, when normality comes back. That's right. So if you think of all the big electronics companies like Yamaha, Toshiba, Rioche, um, Bose, all those sorts well of done, companies, Bang & Olsen, giving them all a marketing yeah. plug. Yeah. Um, they all basically incorporate this technology. Um, and Bluetooth is the one everyone's familiar with. Bluetooth is a not-for-profit cooperative. The technology is yeah. not as you good. Told me that, yeah. So Ordinate, in many ways, could end up being an unregulated monopoly because there's not many competitors of the ilk of Ordinate. And a takeover target as well. Potentially, potentially. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, Megaport, Ordinate, and one last one, a favourite of mine, which yeah. the market isn't sort of uh, reacting as positively as I think it should, but I think it's, it's uh, waiting for business normality to come back, and that's Elmo, Elmo Software, yeah. ELO. What so Elmo, I, ticket code. I probably got you onto that you one. Did. Probably you not did. My, my finest hour, but, but, no, but I, it's I, a, I, a good business, yeah. uh, we think. We're yeah. still sort of staying the course too. with it. It's yeah. now trading at the bottom end of its trading range from the last couple of years. Mm. Uh, they recently updated the market. They narrowed their revenue guidance, actually increased the midpoint of that revenue guidance. Yeah, I heard that. So, but despite that, the market didn't like necessarily what it heard and has put it under some, some pressure. But when you think about the multiple that zero trades on, mm. I think it's like 30 or 40 times revenue. Um, Elmo is probably around eight times revenue. Yeah. And it's growing equally as quick, if not quicker than zero. Yeah. Basically it's providing- It's a business with 500 employees. It's, and it's a serious business. It's not a, a plonker business. It's not, it's not a plonker business. And essentially any medium, small, large business is a potential target of theirs, yeah. providing the, the payroll software and the HR software. Mm. Um, and essentially they built out the number of modules they've got on offer. The idea is that over time, a company might start using five, six, seven of those modules, but over time they can cross-sell them further modules once yeah. they get used to the system. 
Um, but then the whole thing is as well, they've got a few acquisitions that they've recently done and they've got Target a very good- small business. That's right. And, just medium. and they've got a very good track record of not only growing organically, but growing through acquisition mm -hmm. and they don't overpay for their acquisition. So I think the management are doing a, a good job here, but so far the market really hasn't yeah. caught on to that thing. I think it's a sleeper and I think uh, I'd be, I'll be surprised if, um, and look, before the coronavirus, this was a, what, close to an $8 stock. That's it. Uh, it's now 4.59. I think as business normality comes back over the next year or two, I'd be surprised if it doesn't get six or seven dollars. And based at four dollars fifty-nine, yeah. that'd be a nice return. I think so. And look, if you look at all those key metrics that you look for in these tech platform-based businesses, you know, average recurring revenue from each customer, gross margins, customer churn rates—they're all in very, very good shape. Yeah, you left so one out. One thing out. The CEO wears a T-shirt with a coat on. That's you know he's a tech yeah, CEO. And they got a yoga room in their office, yeah. all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, when they wear T-shirts, and they got I think they got a table tennis table for all their workers. Yeah. So this is a, a Silicon Valley type company in Australia. Yeah, uh, that's right. But um, and that copper name just came back to me. It's Arius. A I S is the code. Okay. Um, it's a, a smaller copper producer, um, and, and one that I think is trading on very low multiples relative to Oz Minerals and even Sandfire. Okay, Michael, thanks for sharing your insights. Let's keep our fingers crossed that they all head in the right direction. <laughs> Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, joining me now is the CEO of Bendigo Adelaide Bank, Marnie Baker. Thanks for coming to the program, Marnie. It's lovely to be here, Peter. Thanks for the invitation. So, uh, it's really good to see the regional banks coming good. You know, there was a time there where the experts were saying, oh, it's all going to be the big four banks and the regionals are going to really struggle. But what, what's the, the, the most recent experience of your bank? Yeah, well, we've, um, you know, I, I think you've only got to look at the, um, the half-year financials to see that, um, you know, where you really are a beneficiary, I think, from a number of things. Uh, that have occurred, you know, of more recent times. But I think it is, you know, sometimes it is an advantage not being a major bank, but not being a smaller bank either, because you can differentiate yourself and you can play in a space, I suppose, that that means that um, that you are and you are offering a different proposition. Mm. Well, what's the outlook for Bendigo? Look, it's a really positive outlook for for Bendigo. If we if we put to the side, you know, the 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 current environment from a, a COVID perspective, and I'm as you know, Peter, I'm based in Victoria. My hometown is is Bendigo, so I'm in lockdown at the moment. I've been, you know, watching how that sort of has has evolved. Um, but if we put aside that environment for a moment, um, all everything else looks really good. Um, just the, the, the confidence um, that has sort of come back into the market, albeit I am, like I said, watching Victoria very closely. Um, you know, all of the economic indicators are showing 
that's a really good signs for you know and i think we are you know are moving into a, you know a more of an expansionary phase as we saw through the federal government and their announcements through the budget uh, we've come quicker into recovery than what we thought or or the the depth of where we thought we might have got to was a lot less so from our perspective and how from our bank um, you can see through the figures that we've got record lending growth and i think you know and that's off the back of our housing lending but all uh, so is our um, uh, agricultural uh, lending and our business lending as well and we've been really focused on the changes that we're seeing in a structural sense through how our customers are you know behaving and their preferences that they have this whole digital move that seems to have been accelerated now transforming our business to ensure that we you know are able to remain relevant and at the same time focusing on those fundamentals of running a really strong and sound business and an efficient business okay when you guys came to market you've been around a long time but when you really went national and combined with uh, adelaide bank and really started pushing out out of victoria and around the country you know, one of your, your strongest uh, messages was, you know, you're a community bank, but uh, on the same point, you needed to offer the, 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 the services and the um, facilities of a bigger bank as well. How well have you, you think you've negotiated between remaining close to, to the heartland you want to service, but also making sure you're competitive with the big banks? Um, they're not mutually exclusive, Peter. I don't view them as being mutually uh, exclusive. You know, communities, communities are made up of people, yeah. uh, and you know, people need to have uh, a highly capable financial institution that to do their banking with. Uh, they need access to services and to to products um, that are that are leading uh, products. Uh, they need access to through different means and sometimes that means in a physical sense other times it means in a more online or digital sense so there's a there's capabilities that are just core i think to be uh, being able to provide a good customer uh, experience but i think where we take that further is that we are you know we are really deeply embedded in the communities in which we we're really privileged to to operate from within um, and to to serve. You know, we recognise that you know a a business can only be strong if the communities in which it operates are strong as well. And that's why we have you know uh, the the models that we run and the things that we do are really focused on ensuring that long term sustainability, well being, um, and growth that these communities are thriving. What are the key opportunities ahead for the, the company? Well, look, there's a, a number of opportunities. Um, you know, we'll continue to build on that deep community connection that we have. Um, we've got a, a history of innovation. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, forget about the innovation that's come. Some of that from when we we're a, uh, a building society right through till today. We, we introduced Visa. Uh, into Australia, we uh, we introduced the mortgage offset uh, account. Our community bank model is unique in the world. Uh, you know, uh, we're the first to introduce uh, a digital, full digital bank uh, in up. So you know, bringing new innovation to our customers is a part of what we do. Um, but like I said before, also transforming. Uh, you know, in how we work how we deliver those services to um, our customers is, is paramount.
What about the threats? You're the CEO, you must have a, a short list of things that you want to make sure don't uh, you know, ruin your performance. So what are your threats? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting because I probably, um, uh, I, I don't think of threats, I think challenges. Uh, you know, I think, I, I think everything's surmountable. Uh, so, you know, I think of things as challenges that, that get thrown our way and sometimes they're things that are well outside of your control and, you know, the current uh, COVID environment is something that is outside of uh, our control. I mean, as a, as a bank, um, uh, very reliant on, you know, what happens with interest rates, et cetera. We're in a very low interest rate environment. The geopolitical environment is something that we're always sort of thinking about. Uh, cyber, you know, that's a huge risk for all organisations to be to be thinking about. But, you know, I know uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, the disruption and perhaps um, competitors coming in. Uh, fintechs, for example, as being disruptors, but you know, I actually think of that as an opportunity, you know, rather than a threat. In a sense that we're a strong partnering organisation, uh, and you know, and we've partnered with a lot of fintechs. And before fintechs, they used to be called entrepreneurs or startups. Um, and through our long history, uh, that's what we've done. And some of our more recent uh, fintech relationships, um, we're seeing some, you know, tremendous opportunity that's come from that and and opportunity for our own uh, customer base. So fintechs are doing some really great things. They're carving off a piece of the, you know, the, the customer experience and reimagining it and delivering it in a way that hasn't been necessarily seen before. And I think that lifts the bar from a customer experience perspective for, for everyone in the industry. So, so I guess on that subject, why did you tie up with uh, Tyro? Yeah, so uh, again, this partnering, um, you know, philosophy that we have within our organisation and we, we understand what we do really well, what our strengths are. We also understand what are, you know, strengths that others may have uh, that they could, you know, assist us for our customer base. Uh, and Tyro is an example of that. They're an ASX listed payments solutions uh, provider. We've entered into uh, an arrangement with them um, where we're co-branding um, their solution that's pa powered by them under our uh, under our brand. It brings with it more of a, a more full product suite to our business customers than what, than what we were able to and have been able to do uh, to date. And it improves the experience for our, our customers. And you know, and we're pretty excited about that. Yeah. How big is the, the business um, percentage of your customer base at this point in time and, and are you hoping to grow it? Yeah, it's, it's um, a smaller part of our customer base uh, at the moment by number of, uh, number of customers. Um, uh, it's something, remembering that we came from a building society background, yeah. so we converted to a bank in, in 1995. Uh, which is really not that long ago. Um, until that time, we weren't able to really fully get into business banking. Uh, so it's relatively new for us. We think we've got a huge opportunity there. Um, if you think about our footprint, um, uh, our connection into communities, uh, uh, hundreds of communities right across Australia, 
uh, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be, you know, aiming to have all of those, especially small to medium businesses mm. in those communities uh, banking with us. Yeah, well, a lot of those small and medium-sized businesses have had pretty bad experiences with the majors. So you know, any bank that comes out and is really good at customer service is going to have a good chance to do something pretty well. Plans for branches. You guys have lots of branches uh, and, the, and the majors are, are allegedly going to be reducing them. Is that going to be a part of your competitive advantage that you will actually be seeable in lots of communities? Yeah, our branches right across Australia, they remain a critical part of our uh, our retail distribution strategy. And, and they do provide a you know, that, that community uh, connection right at the grassroots um, and, and also a source of, you know, uh, customer deposits uh, too. Um, and you'll see, you know, we're uh, close to 80% retail customer uh, funded, uh, which I think is a, is a good advantage for us. Um, you know, we will, and we have in the past and we'll do in the future, look to, you know, potentially make changes um, to the look and the feel or the size or or bring together some branches depending on, you know, how customers' needs and their their behaviours and their sort of preferences uh, change. But they'll always be uh, um, and it will remain critical to our distribution strategy. Mm. I, I know it's really hard to ask a CEO what's going to happen to her share price because she just said to me, well, I'm not I, I'm not going to comment on that. It was just like when I interviewed Paul Keating when he was treasurer and I asked him whether interest rates would be coming down. But instead of asking him that question, because he just said to me, I don't talk about interest rates, I said to him, well, Paul, if your niece came to you and said, I'm getting married, Uncle Paul, should I go for fixed or variable home loan interest rates, what would you recommend? And he laughed and said, well, historically, variable have been better than fixed. And that was before the Reserve Bank cut seven times from those very high interest rates in late 1980s. So, so let me say to you that if your niece came to you, Marty, and said, is, is Bendigo Adelaide Bank a good investment? What would you say? I would say that we've got a really strong and focused strategy uh, that's focused on transforming the business for the future and growing the business for the future. Um, uh, that's what I would say to my niece. And, well, and would you say, should I put my money into uh, Bendigo Adelaide shares? Uh, I, I, I think if you believe in the strategy that we're employing and you can see that it actually fits with your and aligns with, with you um, and fits with your financial objectives, then, you, then that's a decision that you could make. Okay, great stuff. You did your best then, Marnie. I really <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> it, it, it. It's a tough one to... Yeah, to, I know, to I know. But uh, I, look, uh, one last question. And, and remember, a lot of people watch this show because they do want to invest in quality companies and that's why you're on. I think you are a quality company. One uh, thing aspect of all of the, the banks in this country has been the, the reduced dividend because of the coronavirus. Do you suspect that over the next year or so we'll see bank dividends on the rise? Uh, again, it's hard to look forward into the into the future. Um, and, and like I said before, we we felt that we're sort of uh, not coming out the other side, but we're we're closing the gap on the vaccinations that are occurring in in uh, in Australia, being able to get to a position where we're just operating in a COVID 
environment rather than having to, um, you know, to necessarily react, react in, a, in, a, in a way that actually does impact really adversely on the economy. So with the proviso um, that we don't have, um, you know, and, and I, again, I'm sitting in Victoria, so I'm really sort of uh, conscious of this, but like I said, the, you know, the economy um, has moved quicker than what we had first anticipated. The, the recession we had wasn't as deep as what, or as extended as what we had first anticipated. So they were really good signs. All of the economic indicators uh, are showing us that we're moving into the territory now that really does bode well for uh, companies and bodes well for shareholders who have the, who have their money in companies. So, you know, um, you've got to hope all things being equal, um, uh, yeah, that the environment is conducive to being able to get back to paying dividends like what we've seen before. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, um, Marnie, but I have been telling people there's a treasurer's right and we grow at 4.25%. I suspect bank dividends will grow with that as well. Marnie, thanks for coming on the program and doing your best to be as, um, as ex exposing of your future as possible. Thanks very much. Well, joining me now is the MD of Newburger Berman. This is a company that has a listed product on the Australian stock market under the ticket code of NBI. And it was really highly regarded. It came with fantastic uh, reputation. Uh, but the coronavirus like, hit, hit a lot of really good quality assets. Uh, and this one was hit as well and then has rebounded. It hasn't quite got back to where it was before. And that's going to be a, a part of the, the questions I'll, ha I'll have for Vivek. Let's just kick off straight away by asking you, oh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Uh, no, thank right. you. Thanks for your time. Okay. So this, low, this low interest rate environment, Vivek, is that a plus or a negative for a, a fund like yours that has had a history of paying around 5% uh, dividend uh, return over quite a long period of time? Yeah, no, look, we think that's um, a positive in this environment just because when you look globally, almost 70% of fixed income trades below 1% yield. So if you have something that, you know, our current yield is is um, in the, the high fours, you know, mid fours, you know, that's still a good relative distribution for a fixed income product. I mean, obviously, you know, the benefit of our, our type of structure is as rates start to increase, that will filter through the portfolio in the sense of, of increased yield and distribution as well. So we think it's a it's a good environment for that. You know, globally, you are seeing you know asset allocators put money into high yield just because the lack of alternatives and in fixed income is quite high. Yeah, and, and and I know when I've heard you present in the past that that really the, the stronger an economic outlook is, the better it is for you because you do lend to two or three hundred companies, and if, if the economic environment is really positive. It means that who you're lending to, they're, they're a much more secure um, conveyance, aren't they? Let, let's put it, the, uh, you know, increased economic activity will lead to improvement in companies' earnings and cash flow, which will decrease their actual risk. Yeah. And we think that's a great environment. And we actually think this type of environment benefits us the most, because I, I use it from this perspective. 
you know, right now the debate for corporate earnings is not about if they're going to grow or not. It's just by how much are they going to grow. I mean, I, I'd say as we're coming off the end of Q1 earnings at this point, like I, I can't, I can't think of one company that the earnings momentum wasn't positive. So the, the one, one critic um, called the the bonds that you invest in junk bonds. What would you say to that? Is that an unfair classification of the the bonds you invest in? I mean, look, I, I think it, it's one where it was a moniker the market had probably 30 years ago. So I mm. think that criticism is pretty dated and in some ways uninformed. I mean, right now, the companies we're invested in are companies like Ford, like Netflix, mm. and you know, large enterprises like that. In our portfolio, the median earnings are about $1.4 billion. And when you compare that to the ASX 200 at $200 billion, it's a pretty big gap mm. between that. And so while these companies do have a below investment grade rating, I mean, I would disagree that these are quite junk from a, a quality perspective in terms of their, their, their earnings, in terms of their businesses. Yeah. Well, I must admit, we wouldn't have um, thought that uh, your product was a good product if we thought they were junk bonds. But as you say, yeah. No, yeah. No. I guess you could say they are sub-investment grade, but investment grade is a pretty high standard, isn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, and, and I think, you know, we, we go through this. Keep in mind, investment grade rating and, and people, you know, I think kind of make the, make the assumption that anything that says it's investment grade means the big three agencies rated investment grade, which is actually not true. For a big three agency, to rate a company investment grade, it needs at least a minimum of $2 billion of turnover. Hmm. So, you know, already it, it skews larger than that, but just because the company is a slightly smaller company with, you know, quote, like a billion five of earnings doesn't mean it's not a strong company. Yeah. So, you know, I think is... there's a, um, I, to, to follow that, I mean, I know there is a, a one of our peers in the space in Australia says most of their names are investment grade, but the truth is like none of the major agencies would ever rate any company that they invest in investment grade just because of the size. Right. So what is the sector outlook for high yield? Because you know, we know the central banks are telling us they're not going to raise interest rates for a long time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I guess we can't always trust them to, I, 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 I guess you'd like this one. I, I have used this analogy before that uh, I think the central banks have been great Seinfeld fans when George Costanza said, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> That's true. Although, you know, people say the central banks could surprise us. Well, the last time they did was the late seventies. So it's been a while. You got you to admit till a real surprise happened. I mean, you know, when you go through the Greenspan area, to Yellen, to where we are now, Powell, they've been pretty steady in terms of what they've done in terms of messaging and same with European central banks. So I don't really have any sort of reason to believe that after 40 years of consistency that they're going to backtrack on it. I mean, the truth is they're just going to look at the data yeah. and, you know, our belief and I think their belief is the inflation pressures you're seeing are probably transitory in nature. And while the year over year increases are high because you're coming out of a, such a low almost depression a year ago, it's not off the trend line 
from the prior few years. So I think you still have to wait and see the data. I do think that from a sector outlook, I mean, by and large, every sector is doing well from a corporate perspective. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously the COVID reopening trade is, is helping, but even as that starts to ebb, every other industry is doing well too. So again, not, uh, not too worried about any certain industries. Uh, Vivek, do you think the Australian market understands high yield bonds and particularly a product like yours? You know, I think uh, if you asked me that two or three, like three years ago when I first came to the market, I'd say it's a lower understanding, relatively speaking. But I think over time, like now, as I talk to investors, they get it. Mm. I mean, they get besides these companies, they get what happens at below investment grade ratings. They get, they kind of get. So I, I, I think you know, there, there's a um, there's a greater knowledge than there was several years ago frankly. So I think the, the market's caught up pretty quickly. So the, the product that we have here, ticker code NBI, it, it has had an equivalent in the US for how long? I just looked at it, I think in the late mid 90s. Okay, so it's had a long track record. A long time, it's been, it's been almost 20 years. I mean, so were, were you staggered at the the fall in unit price with the coronavirus? Because most people, but had, I mean, had, had it happened before to to that, to that well, not to that magnitude, but had, had it well, in previous crashes, did, did the unit price yeah. fall and rebound? Yes, I mean, what we, had told people is generally speaking with high yield bonds in periods of high volatility with large drawdowns, hmm. you will see the bonds fall in value, but you have a very quick snapback. Hmm. You know, from the standpoint of this, if you're a company like a cable company, which is one of our largest sectors, and you're just paying your coupon and interest, and there's nothing wrong with your, your business, if your bond drops 10 points, and nothing's wrong, people kind of realize that really quickly and your bonds kind of just move back up. And that's what we've seen in prior instances. So we, we have charts like 08, 09, the market snapped back within a year. And kind of similar with COVID, I mean, you saw a drop down and it snaps back because by and large, pretty much all the companies were fine. Yeah. And people ask me, well, what, why hasn't the, the discount totally uh, closed? And I, and I said, well, Maybe when, when business is back to normal as it was before COVID, well, maybe that then everyone will say, well, all the companies are out of the woods and therefore that discount will close. Is that a reasonable response to that question? You know, it's something we obviously are, are frustrated with um, and kind of baffles us as well. I mean, I guess mm -hmm. observationally, we're not the only LIT trading at a discount in Australia. Oh. So sometimes there's an element of when the whole market is pretty much trading at a discount, there's only so much you can do. But what we have done and tried doing is one, engaging with as much uh, many of our investors as we can to talk about the story. Uh, two, just showing our performance. So, you know, you, you talked about where we are. I mean, we are still above our IPO price. Mm. which kind of show, and we've been paying out a monthly distribution that whole time. Mm. So I think when people see that the annualized return since IPO is in the 6% range, 
that's a pretty good return for a fixed income product at that for that time period. I think just as we tell that story out and you know get people to understand what's in the portfolio, that should just narrow over time. Yeah. Vivek, some people say to me, well, maybe it's the currency effect. Is there a, a, a currency effect uh, for, for the fund? I mean, there is from the standpoint of we hedge the bonds of the portfolio back to Aussie dollar, but that is not, in my view, that doesn't seem like it's related as well to the discount. So, no. I mean, there is a currency back then. I mean, I, again, I'm not an expert of why exactly there is that discount, but I don't, I don't see the two as related. Okay. Um, how is MBI positioned then for, for consistent income? Because that clearly is your, your strength. And, and a lot of people who get, um, you know, the, the market as it is, they, they realize they have to get used to a bit of capital volatility. But as long as they're getting consistent income, a, a sophisticated investor would understand that. Yeah, look, I, you know, I think right now is a great time to be invested in credit just because, frankly, most industries are, are doing really well. Um, so, you know, in terms of where we're positioned, you know, we have a, a larger weighting to single Bs right now. And that's because we think that a corporate improvement will happen there and those companies will ultimately get upgraded. We do have a larger exposure right now. It's about the leisure sector, but leisure encapsulates, you know, gaming, um, uh, you know, call it like land-based theme parks uh, and the like, and even like cruise ships, just because, you know, on a reopening, these are actually doing quite well. And we're seeing that come through the portfolio. So these had called above average yields um, and we're able to invest in at good prices. And so we've seen the benefit translate in the portfolio. Okay. And you've got a, well, yeah, the new target distribution. Will it be up or will it be down? I, uh, I have to make that announcement when we, uh, when we, when we decide to make the announcement publicly. So okay. I, can't, uh, I can't comment on that right now. Okay. Well, you got a smile on your face. I hope the smile tells me that <laughs> Is it going to be positive, mate? Is there is there a question I should I should ask you that that you'd like to answer? That you know, for the people who are invested in MBI, I think just you know you've kind of asked it, but maybe I'll say now. Like, look, the biggest risk for investing in credit, especially when they're below investment grade, is credit deterioration that ultimately leads to a default, and that leads to a capital loss. Hmm. And so one of the questions I probably have gotten for the last, since 2007 is when will this economic cycle end? And, you know, as you, as it got longer and longer, it's like, I don't know. I mean, it seems to be going on forever. <laughs> and now that we've had the, like this big recession and drawdown, I could firmly say we're at the beginning of a new cycle. Mm. And when you are in the beginning of a new cycle, investing in these type of credits is a great time because pretty much every industry, every name is doing well and credit improvement will continue for years. Yeah. And so we think right now is just a good time. And, and as well, look, it's not uh, a bash on equities or not, but from my perspective, if you have an equity that, again, you think it's going to grow at 10% and it ends up growing at 5%, that equity price will be down. Hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just the way the PE ratios work. Whereas from a credit perspective, that's still an improving credit. Mm. And so we think that, you know, our portfolio and our asset class is poised for actually pretty strong returns for the next several years. 
Vivek, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you. Good seeing you again. I hope to see you in person next time. Yeah, me too. Good to see you. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we'd love you to become a subscriber. The more people who subscribe, the better we can make this show, even though we think it's great already. And if you want to become a really successful investor, become a subscriber to the Switzer Report where some really smart people come up with great ideas every week. Once again, thanks for joining us. See you on Monday.